rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Well, Jenny, welcome back to Rumors of Grace. It's good to have you back on the program. This is your second time. It is. I feel so happy to have another chance to visit with you. Yeah, well, I thought it was really important. We're doing a series on mental health during social isolation. Last time we had Jamal Javanji on, who was great. And just given your work and your studies and what you do, I thought it would be so, so not only relevant, but hopefully very helpful to our listeners. So before we jump into the questions, I'd love to just give people a background who may didn't haven't hasn't heard of you or they haven't listened to the first program. So Jenny Black is the founder of Media Trauma Care. She's a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. She runs a private practice here in Tennessee, and she specializes in training and education about how mental health is impacted by our use of media. She also deals uh, and helps patients, clients with different types of trauma that they may have dealt with, whether it be life trauma, childhood trauma, religious trauma, uh, and media trauma. So we're going to jump into some of that. So uh, first of all, Jenny, how are you and Adam and your kids doing right now? Yeah, we're doing really, really well. This is, um, I was just uh, thinking before we started, we're doing as well as we possibly could be if if there was no such thing as the outside stress and the reason we're all <laughs> out here together it would be like we'd still be probably on top of each other and bickering a bunch but we're really we're healthy and we're in a really nice place with a lot of nature so we get to be outside um and we're getting to be together and uh, at a time when we did not anticipate like Adam and I were just becoming empty nesters and um adapting to that lifestyle and now it's like we've we've never had this full of a nest before so wow wow well um that's good to hear i'm glad that that you're spending time together and i have so many questions for you that not only i'm dealing with but i've heard from others and i guess i just want to kick it off with uh, with kind of square one is what are some practical things that people can do to establish a healthy rhythm of life during these times well, you could probably imagine what I'm going to say um, is to get as as in touch as possible with your human needs and mm-hmm. stay really attuned to them. Um, it's it seems all of us, even before um, social distancing, we were all kind of getting programmed to go to our technology whenever we had a need come up we had a feeling come up or something that we needed to do, we'd be like, okay, I'm going to go check my phone or I'm going to go, you know, check my email. So obviously a big, big part of my message is check in with yourself and um, social distancing, of course, has given us an invitation like we've never experienced before to spend time with ourselves and pay attention to what we need. Like, are we hungry? Are we tired? Do we need to move? Really, really practical, essential um, basic needs. Yeah. It's interesting that you should say that is, um, do we need to move? It sounds like such a silly question, but it's easy to realize that you've been sitting in one place for four or five hours at a time and you haven't gotten up. I've noticed, um, for me personally, 
getting up and moving and walking and exercising and stretching is so essential. And the last few days I've had some lower back issues and it, I know I rarely get that. I, I'm, I'm a tall guy, so I, I have a tendency toward it, but the last few years, it hasn't really been a problem. So I was just wondering what, what is going on? And then I realized, you know, I've been sitting in either outside on my porch working, or I've been doing podcasts. And before I know it, you know, several hours can get go by where I'm sitting on these cushy seats that don't have any back support. Um, and I have to do that. And I just can imagine people all over the world, all over the country are just like, uh, remind myself to get up, remind myself to go eat yeah. properly, to remind myself yeah. to sleep because time kind of runs together, right? It does. It does. And also I, there has been some scientific proof. I have no idea how they studied this, but that we do physically leave our body when we enter digital spaces. So when we enter into our digital world, we're not in our bodies. So we really disconnect from um, hunger pains, even like needing to know that you, you need to use the bathroom or like, like you were saying that your neck or your shoulders have gotten in this position. And so what will happen is when we land back in our bodies as we're exiting those virtual spaces, we kind of are all of a sudden waking up to all of these cues our body's been giving us at one time. And um, it can seem like something's wrong when probably what we just need is some water and to go for a walk. Wow. Wow. That's really, really helpful. Um, are you video counseling over uh, right now? And if so, what kind of things are you seeing and hearing from people? Obviously, you can't give us details, but what can yeah. you tell us about like, what are you experiencing right now in, in your oh, life? It, it was, it was fun thinking about that question. Um, I, I have said before how our relationship with technology is as individualized as, a, as each of us are. And I think the same is true with this time in history. Everybody's situation is, although we're sharing some of the similar limitations, everybody's story has got some different variables that they're working with. So it's way more individualized than I would have anticipated. I think other people's experiences, and you and I might have more of a similar experience just because of the phase of life that we're in and the type of jobs that we have, but um, it's so different. And for, I, I can't say half and half, but let's just for, for conversation's sake, say half of my clients, whatever problems that they were dealing with in therapy have become incredibly pronounced. So if they were um, in the middle of discovering if maybe the, someone they loved had a personality disorder or if, um, if they were going to stay with their alcoholic spouse, like those issues could somewhat stay on the back burner before this. You know, you have all the distractions of daily life and now you are living with your problems in a way that we've not ever been able to um, get away from. You can't want run away from our problems. And so um, it sounds like that would be worse, but it it hasn't been. It it I've watched people way more quickly um, make really hard, good, and courageous choices because the situation is kind of demanding that. Mm. Um, and that has been pretty awesome. But um, it, that that has made social distancing and quarantining very, very difficult for some of my clients. Very difficult. 
Um, on the other hand, I feel like about half of my client load um, really needed to get off of the treadmill of modern culture just about more than they needed anything else. And so there's this other half of my client base that is just taking a deep sigh of, I finally have a big enough excuse to slow down and enjoy some of the things in my life that are the most precious to me. That's really, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, that you would say that people are forced to deal with these things now. Um, things are amplified because we have to actually sit still uh, and with other people who may be um, some of the sources or some of those, some of those areas. Um, that's, that, that's interesting. I, I haven't thought about it in that context of it's easy to escape to work. It's easy to escape, go driving somewhere. It's easy to escape, to go to the gym, all these things, you know, retail therapy, but now people are forced to, <laughs> to sit and ponder. Yeah. Interesting. So you've written uh, and researched a lot about media trauma and uh, how could these events that we're going through right now um, trigger media trauma and what are some ways that people can recognize it, that they're even, that's even happening to them and have a plan through it? Um, okay. So I thought we'd do just like a little review of what media trauma is. Excellent. <laughs> um so I've kind of defined it into four different ways. Um, the first one is a specific traumatic event experienced through personal media. So that's the, usually the one people think of when they think of media trauma. Um, and it's not really the most common one. Like most of us that suffer from media trauma haven't necessarily had one awful thing that happened through media. Although um, one thing that is fascinating to me and has a very different experience um, where you, depending on where you are developmentally, is the idea that traumatic events are more traumatic to, to people who watch them through their devices than they are to the people who were in the traumatic event. So that research came from the Boston Marathon. And they found that when you're actually in a traumatic event, responding to the situation, all of your fight or flight instincts that you need to have to, to run away or dive in or help people, you have this whole big context of a traumatic situation where you get to see other people also responded to the trauma. And there's this experience of community. When we experience a traumatic event, you'd think, you know, through your screen, you'd think it would be more contained and less painful, but we're missing all of the context clues, all of the resources, and we're usually sitting very still and alone when we see them. And that stores up more trauma in our body. Just like you were talking about working all day on your um, device, if we see a traumatic event on our phone, we typically don't go run, right? Like our, we're just sitting right. there like, oh my gosh, that's, that was a terrible thing that just happened. And so that energy gets trapped in our body. Mm. So I just think that's fascinating. That is fascinating. What you're saying then is that it's more traumatic for the person watching than the person who was actually involved in it. Yeah. 
because the the brain and the body's responses to trauma are intentional. They they serve a purpose. And when it's not your trauma, you don't have any way to um, expel that out of your body and do something with it. So when people are having a healthy diet of seven, eight hours a day of what's going on with COVID-19 in these hospitals and these countries and seeing people dying and you know not having enough ventilators, that's building up this trauma response inside of them. Inside of us. And it's traumatizing a culture that is not physically experiencing the trauma, which depletes us of our resources for when it is our turn to face the trauma mm. in our uh, present reality. So it, it costs on many levels, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, well, the other thing I was going to say, one of my, um, one of my very first tips for kind of doing some practical things is consider reading the news once a day instead of watching it mm. throughout the day. Um, reading, it inter- our brains interpret reading much differently than watching, especially if you've got kids at home. They, don't, they do not need to be seeing images of things that they can't process, which of course none of us can process. But also that's great staying in, you know, to read the news and find out, stay up to date on what you need to do and what you can do to make a difference and then turn it off and figure out what you can do in your own, in your own house and for yourself to stay as healthy and mentally healthy as you can during this time. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good practical advice. Anything else that, that people can be doing during this time as far as consuming media? What about, um, you know, you and I have had this conversation many times. I'm, I'm always trying to look at how um, digital media can be an extension of ourselves in a positive way. And, and we've seen a lot of that with Zoom and video conferencing and even, even what we're doing now. Um, there's been some really beautiful content that's come out of it and sharing that some of the beautiful experiences in real life that are then shared um, through, through media. What is your what what else can you help us with to understand, you know, how should we be using social media? What is, you know, how much is too much? What, you know, what is the good and the bad? And it seems like, you know, my wife's a teacher, so she teaches her classroom every day online. My son's, you know, online doing class school now, X amount of a full day. You know, I work online and I I find sometimes Fortunately or unfortunately, most likely, I'll look around at nine o'clock at night and we're, you know, somebody's on Netflix, the other person's on, you know, their Facebook account, the other person's reading the news on their iPhone. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I do want to say I completely agree with you. I think we have seen some of the most beautiful uses of social media that, that have happened since its invention. So that's been really encouraging to me to see how quickly we could, I don't know, it's almost like we were just waiting for ways to be creative and generous and um, connected. Um, I, I think what you're speaking to is probably my biggest concern right about right now and probably most people's biggest struggle. And that is, um, trying to be both in your, in this real world space that you're in dealing with the body and possibly other humans in your house and navigating this 
for most people, their work and school life um, in their digital worlds. And I'm not sure, have you ever heard of the term um, continuous partial attention? I think so. I mean, it, that makes logical sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know it, whether you've heard it before or yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah. I do that. that all the time. I do that all the time. Yeah, that is what I really think we're we're in the midst of suffering with. Almost now more than ever, our media is offering us more, I would say, at least in my household, more good things than bad things. Uh, you know, if we're talking about positive content, connecting with people all over from different aspects of our lives, getting to continue school and work. So it's not so much a, this is a bad thing that I'm doing and I could be doing something really healthy and good for me over here. Um, it's more that concept of straddling both the digital and real worlds all the time and not really ever getting to give all of ourselves to one thing. And that is so hard on our brains. It is so hard on our brains. It really costs us a lot and doesn't give us a, a high sense of satisfaction. So we could find ourselves spending hours and hours working on something, but not ever really getting to sink into that flow of getting to accomplish something or experience the end. You know, I finished for the day. So one of the things um, that I'm really challenging people to is if, if you are going to work on, like, like I was just telling my son, if you're going to get on a class, do not have your phone out texting or scrolling through social media while you're in an online class. And that's not um, because he doesn't need to be on his phone in class. Like it's because his brain never has a chance to get settled into this is what I, this is what I did. This is what I learned. This is where I was. So when our, when our bodies and our minds are in the same place, we experience this calm, like, oh, I'm here. And when they're in different places all the time, it actually makes our body, um, it triggers the trauma responses in our body, even though no trauma is taking place. So it's really about being kind to yourself and your mind. It's not just about focus. That's really, that's really, really helpful. And the fact, the fact that that you can be two places at one time through continual partial attention. Um, wow. That, that, if I can remember that when I'm, cause I have a tendency to multitask or try to multitask. I don't always do it really well, but um, sometimes it's a necessity. Uh, and that can be detrimental if, from what I'm hearing from you is if I can practice being fully present in the moment, even if it's in social media, I'm focusing on that, but not trying to do, have two worlds going at the same time, whether it be engaging with someone. And we see this all the time, you know, I can be having three different text message conversations and a real world conversation at the same time. Right. Um, it's interesting. It, so if, if, if what you're saying is right, that it does start to trigger, your body starts to say, there's something going on here that could be traumatic. What you're saying is there could be literally chemical responses going on when I'm doing that. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. And um, the thing I'm the most concerned about is that we went the way that we're made, the way our brains work and the way that we engage in the physical world, we are used to, we need a sense of completion 
like we need to see that our work made a difference. Like, um, like one of my favorite things during this time has been organizing our closets and how like that is, that is food for mental health because my, my body got to get in the work that I was doing and it got to see that what I did that day has a tangible expression and I, I get to finish it. And our body needs that so badly. And so much of the work that we do in virtual spaces doesn't ever give that resolution. That's really, that's really, really good. Um, you know, Jenny, one of the areas that you also counsel people is people have gone through trauma and religious trauma is one of those. And there, there are many people out there and you see it on social media, even in some news, depending on what you read, that somehow this is connected to some, you know, judgment from God or discipline from God. And, you know, there's end times connections. And this can be very triggering for people who have come up from those backgrounds and they try to interpret all of life uh, or have a history of it through this. Um, so any advice or help that you can offer with that? Oh, I was so excited when you asked the question. Um, so I think that you and I have, well, really you and my husband have talked a lot about the two halves of life. And I'm sure you've talked about that a lot on the podcast. Yes. Um, and I think that, you know, the first half of life, especially in regards to religion is kind of all about figuring out cause and effect. Like if I, I do these things and these good things will happen to me. And if I do these bad things, these bad things will happen to me. And we know from having lived the first half of life and having children that there's, there's very, there's a lot of reality in that, that life has natural consequences to it, you know, good ones and bad ones. Um, but I really believe that religious trauma is always rooted in power and control. And I think that when you try to take the concept of consequences, behaviors and consequences into the spiritual realm, it really starts to be about pretending that we have, we have guarantees in life, that we are way more in control than we are. And that if something goes bad anywhere in the world, it must be somebody else's fault. <laughs> and um, I feel like for me, true spirituality is really coming to terms with how powerless I am and how much doing all of the right things doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that life will look a certain way or that you won't die of cancer or that you will, your stocks will do well. Um, so I feel like what I would like to say to people who are being triggered by that is that we have we have an invitation like this global invitation to experience god in our suffering and not use god as something to keep suffering away from us or the evidence of god being if i don't have suffering i must have god in my life if i do have suffering where is god but more where is god in this suffering at whatever level you might be experiencing 
Yeah, that's um, that's really good. That's really good. Ha- have you seen some of this yourself? And have you talked to people? I, I mean, you know, I'm so familiar with this cult, that culture that I just knew it existed without ever having to <laughs> see it on social media. Um, I think that I am very lucky, especially being a therapist, people come really broken, um, because life didn't work the way that they thought it was supposed to. And so when the more that they are able to see that there were no promises, like those promises were pretend and that what's real in their life has been much more, I guess they've already sort of surrendered to Mm. life didn't go the way I planned. Mm. And so something like a global pandemic, while it's a much bigger deal, it's also not because once you've come to terms in your life with say a terminal illness diagnosis, you you've already surrendered to like, okay, there's something going on in life that I don't understand and probably never will understand, but can I find peace and joy in this moment? Mm. Yeah, that's good. And and how are you counseling people who maybe um, push back into environments where they're having to deal with some of these elements? Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm guessing you're speaking to people who might be back in families or systems that they had kind of broken away from. Yeah, um, where they experience some trauma or they're no longer in that construct or they're, you know, in the middle of thinking, rethinking that this is really, I've talked to a few and seen online people who are like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm back in the middle of this. And, you know, I have, you know, family on one side who's, you know, interpreting all of life, this awful judgmental experience and other half family might be experienced, you know, you know, there's just so many, we're so, um, there's such a dichotomy today that's pushed through media and other places that now when people are pushed back together, that may have very different opinions and views on life. Yeah. I can imagine what that could be going on there. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I used to make a joke that we, you know, all of us had an uncle who had, um, beliefs of politics or religion that we disagreed with wholeheartedly. And yet we still really liked that uncle. Mm. We used to have that experience of people as these very whole complex beings that would spout off an opinion. We were like, well, that's ridiculous. Um, But when we only experience that uncle through Facebook, we're going to unfollow him. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you're talking about, which I think is, is beautiful is an invitation back to the whole experiences of people Yes, and that we are so much more than our opinions and our beliefs. Yes. That's good. Physically being in space with each other gives us an opportunity for learning to accept that. Mm. Yeah. What are some practical ways that we can move more toward that? I mean, you you counsel people regularly, I'm sure. Um, if if someone finds themselves in spaces or in places where, you know, this is not my normal environment, um, I'm in com- I'm uncomfortable in this town, in this city, in this situation with the people I am I am I'm in with, whatever it might be, 
Um, what are just some real practical tips that you could give someone in that? Well, um, one of my favorite tools that I learned in a family therapy class was to pretend like you were a journalist visiting these people in this culture. That's good. <laughs> and to, to, um, and one of the ways I've survived some of my worst situations in life is thinking about how funny a story this is going to be to tell somebody else. <laughs> so to start viewing your life as a reporter and almost noticing, like, sometimes we're so triggered by particular behaviors or comments in our, when it is from our culture, um, that we don't have enough space to be like, I wonder why they think that. I wonder where from. And um, one of the best techniques I've heard specifically about healing relationships between parents and adult children is to start interviewing them and asking questions like that aren't, um, they're not triggering. We're not talking about politics or religion, unless you want to say something like a couple Christmas started a conversation on both sides of our family. There are both very um, deeply committed Christians. And instead of just this assumption that you're a Christian, I think I know what that means. We started asking everybody, what does it mean to you to be a Christian? Or why do you say you're a Christian? And we ended up getting such incredible stories. Um, and a lot of the people in our family that would call themselves atheists were like, oh, I can totally respect your belief system now that I really understand what that means to you instead of what I thought it meant. So curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity yeah. is the word I'm trying to say. Get curious. That's really good. That's really helpful. You know, another question I'd like I have that um, I think is really relevant is speak speak to moms right now that maybe Oh my gosh. I was so happy when you said <laughs> that. Oh, I could just weep. My heart is so heavy for moms right now. What can you offer them? I know you're going, what they're going through. You're a mom. Um, you know, I know I have a mom who's elderly now and I talk to her as, as much as I can, obviously my wife. Um, it's a, it's a difficult thing because so many moms have been juggling work and family and just everything that moms do. Can you speak to moms and maybe listening right yeah. now? Yeah. First of all, I just think uh, there there's not enough compassion on the planet to send to moms who have kids at home and are juggling either babies or schooling or just uh, ferocious hormones and loneliness and all the things that um, adolescents go through. Uh, it's Re and just the loss. I think what I really wanted to speak to when you said that is I think that students in particular, if they were in full-time school, I think that the closest thing we could mirror to what they're going through is grief. Um, but it looks very different than how we normally see grief because because no one has died, but the loss, like if you think about what a little kid goes through when they just move to a new house and they're not in their old neighborhood that they were in, imagine that every kid is going through that, losing their friends, their teacher. And on top of that, like you said, they, they may be home with their parents, but their parents have not ever been this unavailable to them at home because they are working so hard trying to keep their jobs going. 
while also trying to take care of their kids. Um, so I, I, if at all possible, if it is all possible, any mom that is working and has kids home, I really believe that there needs to be some, some requests to their employers that if they can't just keep going on life as normal. Like they have kids who are very likely going through all of the phases of grief. And it's not the same thing as if I had to work really hard over spring break, you know, and my kids are on spring break and I'm going to get this project done. That's a pretty, um, that's life. That's, you've got to do that. But I'm hearing just a lot of kids going through a lot, like crying a lot, uh, misbehaving a lot. And of course they are like, of course they are. The world as they know it is, is not there. And, um, in addition to that, they know something, their parents aren't okay. We're not just continuing work as normal. We all, any adult that does understand what's going on has this underlying sense of anxiety about everything from illness to finances to, um, you know, just, do we have enough toilet paper? Do we have enough fresh produce in the fridge? And, um, our kids really weren't doing very well before this, that I was, we, we were not hearing great reports of kids' mental health. Um, so this is, like we said earlier, whatever issues your kids were having, they're going to be having on steroids right now. But what's really, really wonderful is that there's an opportunity to slow down and actually get to regulate with them. Um, like I've, if you can be doing anything creative with your child or if you can be reading to your child, that will be one of the best things that you could be doing for your mental health and your kids' mental health. And as far as work is concerned, um, it's not the top priority right now. That's excellent. You know, one thing that hit me was I have kids at all different ages and stages, and I have one that's 13. And he said something to me that was um, both profound, but also got me really pondering things because it ties into what you just said. He, he said, Dad, now I have something that I can tell my grandkids that I'll always remember. Um, he was too young for, for, you know, September 11th. He was too young for you know, uh, to remember the, the, the last recession, he was too young to remember, um, you know, the challenger crashing, uh, blowing up all the things that in our lives, we, we can remember where we were. We remember what we went through. We remember what we felt at that time. Um, this is going to be for our kids. This is going to be one of those moments that for the rest of their lives, they will always remember where they were, what they experienced, and what they felt during this time. And I guess what hit me so heavy was what he will remember is not only 2020 pandemic, he will remember what he was doing with his dad, what he was doing with his parents, what he was experiencing and feeling at home. Because um, in this time period, people are fully present to the experience um, just like you're fully present in those September 11th and other things that, that we can remember. Um, so I, I, it's so important what you said is spending time and taking walks and reading books and being fully present with them, because those are the things that will, you know, be milestones in their brains, I think, 
20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Yeah. And, and what, whatever, however I get behind and work during this time or whatever financial fallout we're going to have, um, we're going to recover from, but our, our kids will not, they will not be able to recover from, um, neglect of this time that will take decades to recover from if they don't get the care and attention that they need right now. There's this amazing story um, about, I think it was kids during maybe World War II bombing that all the wealthy kids were sent away to safe. All the poor kids stayed with their moms in the areas that were being bombed. And the kids who were sent away suffered more trauma, not being in the space where the bombs were, than the kids who got to stay with their moms. That's so amazingly sad, but interesting at the same time. Um, so, yeah, well, you've given us a lot to chew on um, during this time. I want to thank you for taking the time to just spend with us. And I know listeners will have, you know, lots of lots of hopefully positive engagement with with what you've talked about. What how can people continue to stay in touch or connect or read what you're doing? Can you give us some sources? Yeah, so I have a couple of fun things for you. One okay. is that since our, maybe our first or second day of quarantine, we have been making a podcast as a family. Awesome. So we've done, I think 10 episodes. So I thought I would send you a link to that. So, and it really kind of Kind of shows how we're staying sane and how we're going crazy. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I'll put it on the show notes for everybody. And, and then the other one is that um, the Refuge Center Counseling is offering a free live event on April 17th on um, mental health after trauma. Mm -hmm. And I'll send you that link too. It's called Live Intentionally. That's and, awesome. So I'll, I'll put both of those in the show notes um, and people will be able to connect. Uh, that's great. Thank you so much, Jenny. That was fun, Bob. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys continue to thrive wow. during this time. And um, if there's anything else that we can do for you, let us know. But thank you so much for offering your wisdom and your guidance. If you can, please, please give Kelly a hug for me. I will. I will. Tell Adam I said hello. I sure will. He, um, I just, I've, been overwhelmed by God's mercy in uh, sending you in our lives during this time. So I just really appreciate you. Well, thank you. Well, we appreciate you too. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Bob. All right. Bye-bye.